Hello, this is Damon Sunantanasuk, and today we'll be mapping Monolorin on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Damon Sununtanasik. Damon serves as the Chief Executive Officer at Natural Cure Labs, LLC, operating as Palmara Health and Vital Tales brand supplements. He has an internationally decorated career in health, technology, and entrepreneurial leadership, and his work and travel has taken him to more than 70 countries across six continents. Damon earned his Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from the University of Florida and his Master of Business Administration from the University of Cambridge, England. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix, Damon. Thanks for having me today, Andrea. Today we're discussing monolaurin, and I'm wondering if you could kick off the conversation by speaking into what monolaurin actually is. Happy to, absolutely. Monolaurin is a derivative of lauric acid. Lauric acid's a 12-carbon medium-chain fatty acid that's found naturally in some plant fats, including palm kernel oil and coconut oil. But it's also found in human breast milk constitutes approximately 6.2% of human breast milk and around half of all the fatty acids found in coconut and palm kernel oils. It was discovered and isolated in the 1960s. I believe the history or the lore goes that uh, there were some open questions around infant health and why infants weren't necessarily habitually sick. When an infant is born, it, it requires external stimuli to sort of engage the the immune response. And when you're a very fresh infant, you don't have a lot of immune response built up yet. And so the story goes that potentially there's something in the diet that's helped supporting the infant's immune health. And upon analyzing human breast milk, they found that this medium chain fatty acid, lauric acid was present. And further exploration indicated that it exhibited some incredible results in in vitro and in vivo studies as it relates to gut health, immune health, which include bacteria and viral infections and things of that nature. So that's the discovery. That's the history of it. The more modern, more commercial application is pretty established. Monolaurin is used in commercial applications in both food and cosmetics. In food production, it can be used as a preservative or a shelf stabilizer. Monolaurin is powdered and, and sprayed onto the outside of fruits and vegetables to aid in transport. It uh, can be added as an emulsifier and preservative to things as innocuous as ice cream or pastas. 
from the cosmetics standpoint, it's also used as an emulsifier and excipient and a shelf stabilizer as well. More recently, monolaurin has been used for a dietary supplement. And I think that's probably the application we'll be exploring most today. Yeah, so interesting to think through that history. So do I have it correct that it was discovered as a ingredient, so to speak, in breast milk before we recognized that it was also included in the coconut and the palm oils? Its application in human health is that's the genesis as far as I understand. But you know, clearly coconut and palm oils have had lauric acid and in turn monolaurin since the, their inceptions. Yeah, I was just thinking of our awareness of it, like as a potent immune and gut supportive agent. Did we have that awareness? But maybe we don't know. <laughs> Correct. And you know, there are other interesting observations as it relates to human diet and the presence of lauric acid in the diet, especially in South Asian and Southeast Asian diets who may consume higher than quote-unquote normal levels of coconut flesh or coconut oils. Some analysis has indicated that you know that can modify the constitution of the human breast milk in those populations and that their levels of lauric acid both circulating within their systems but also present in breast milk are higher than those in the West. Wow, that's so interesting. And it really does point to, I think, some of the understanding that we started to gain in the last few decades about the difference between some of the fatty acids and particularly some of the health benefits of those medium chain fatty acids. That's correct. When we think about the central part of the matrix and monolaurin's benefits, you talked about the immune balance and the gut integrity. I'm wondering if we could dive in a little bit more there. And I know you and I are both hesitant to talk about any direct correlations between the use of monolaurin and health, but there is quite a bit of research as you shared with me. Can we talk about what some of that research indicates as we sort of tick around the matrix, starting with that immune and inflammatory balance? Absolutely. Yeah, happy to. And first, I'd like to just premise by saying that as a representative of a supplement company that produces monolaurin, I'm limited in, in what I'm able to fully express and that any supplement is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any disease. But I'm happy to speak through some of the interesting third-party research findings and indicate to those you know, who are interested in learning more where you can go find some of these interesting studies. Perfect. So as you rightly pointed out, there's an enormous amount of literature on PubMed, you know, which is run by the National Institutes of Health, as well as Google Scholar and, and other notable sites that indicate that monolaurin has profound impact on immune health. And these studies indicate that monolaurin may be able to support and maintain immune health through a variety of in vitro and in vivo studies. I'll be the first to admit that the number of human clinical trials are limited. There's less than a dozen or so. But a quick search on PubMed will indicate that there are well over 100 other in vitro and in vivo studies. The in vivo studies being primarily rat and lab mice and, and rabbit subjects. But you know, the outcomes are really incredible. And they explore the impact of monolaurin and binding to the lipid protein envelope of certain viruses. There's interesting studies that indicate that the carbon-12 medium-chain fatty acid is the most inhibitory saturated fatty acid, 
against gram-positive organisms, for example. It does explore its potential effects on gut health as it relates to certain bacterial or microbial infections, but perhaps more importantly, its lack of impact on healthy gut flora and contributing to antibacterial resistance and things of that nature. And the studies go beyond internal immune support and health and, and gut health. And some studies can extrapolate the medium chain fatty acid benefits to things like skin health and hair health and nail health and other applications such as those. So really, really amazing sort of all around immune supporting supplement. So interesting to think about how it supports the immune system and gut health. And when we talk about that lipid membrane, a little bit of that structural integrity piece. And I, I know monolaurin became a bit controversial as we were learning more about the COVID-19 virus and really understanding the difference between antimicrobial effects, disrupting the oil coating of the cell, so that lipid membrane, but also, as you mentioned, that lipid envelope that viruses can have and where the beneficial might not be so beneficial. Is there anything you can share from the research about those controversies that developed during the early 2020s, I guess? Sure. <laughs> early <yeah>. 2020. <laughs> that, and, and we've been advised to never even utter the name of uh, what caused 2020. <laughs> the virus that shall year. not be named. <laughs> Precisely right. But uh, yeah, so in terms of controversy, that's a curious question because in the beginnings of 2020, there was actually the partnership between a, a U.S.-based doctor and a Filipino-based researcher, doctor, and professor around the application of using monolaurin and coconut oil as a response to the pandemic in 2020. I don't know how far they got in, in exploring that research or commissioning a particular study, but I do know that some governments, if I remember correctly, potentially the Philippines and Thailand were implementing some more naturopathic responses in 2020. And, and monolaurin, I believe, was part of that response. Now, you're right. The studies do go on to explain the effect on the viral envelope. And for those listening, you know, viral envelope is this fatty lipid sheath that protects the, either the DNA or the RNA of the virus. And without getting into the specific details, there are several studies that you can find on PubMed that talk about the action, the process, and the application of medium-chain fatty acids like monolaurin in certain laboratory conditions and its impact on the outer envelope of these virus particles. It's really fascinating. Any quick search on PubMed using the keywords monolaurin and enveloped virus can probably return some pretty noteworthy studies that are worth an extra look. Yeah, I think it points out this idea that sort of the dose makes the poison and why we need clinicians when we are looking at supplementation. Because of course, if we're talking about mother's milk, we're talking about a fairly small but potent amount of monolaurin. If we're talking about eating coconuts, that's a certain dosing as well. When we're talking about bringing in something supplementally, it does need more care and attention and understanding and reason behind it. And a lot of people who come to us, they're going out there and making their own decisions about what they put in their body and often self-prescribing. And I think this is where we can get in trouble. When we do come back to monolaurin and its quality inside of the foods we eat, 
So the coconut or the palm oil, is there something we should be looking for in terms of quality of those food items that helps us to get good monolaurin? I'm thinking particularly, Damon, about like coconut oil. There's so many different forms of coconut oil these days. Do we get more or better monolaurin in some coconut products than others? Yeah, it's a great question and a great point you bring up. So monolaurin is synthesized from lauric acid. So what you're really looking for here is our sources of lauric acid. And as we mentioned at the top, the two primary sources in nature are palm kernel oil, which contains around 48 to 49% lauric acid, and coconut oil, which contains around 50% lauric acid. The lauric acid is metabolized in the body into monolaurin, but the rate at which it's metabolized is currently unknown. There are estimates floating out there, and we've done our own calculations. To answer your question, coconut is probably the best and most available source. Pump kernel oil is affordable and, and accessible, but it has some other implications that are a little bit more negative in nature than coconut. Whether or not the lauric acid found in palm kernel oil is worse or better than coconut, that I don't think has been proven. But what has been shown is that palm kernel oil may contribute to deforestation in sensitive environments in Indonesia and the Philippines and other South Asian countries. So coconut is the preferred source, at least from our perspective. Now, you know, coconut flesh and coconut oil do contain that lauric acid coconut oil having the highest concentrations. Our estimates show that the average monolaurin capsule is 600 milligrams of monolaurin per capsule. And in order to achieve a similar amount of monolaurin, you would need to consume around six and a half teaspoons of coconut oil. And that's assuming that one teaspoon of coconut oil is approximately 0.9 grams per cubic centimeter it equates to around 184 milligrams. So a little bit of math in there, but the average consumer may choose to take two 600 milligram capsules with meals. So it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, meaning six capsules per day. That's nearly a cup of coconut oil in order to get that similar like therapeutic level dose, which may be unpleasant or just inconvenient or not practical for a lot of individuals. But going back to um, one of the studies we mentioned earlier is around the presence and concentration of monolaurin in human breast milk. There are some fascinating studies which indicate that that can be regulated and increased through dietary changes. So eating foods that are high in lauric acid, like coconut flesh and coconut oil, can indeed increase the presence of lauric acid in breast milk. And when it comes to coconut oil, if we're looking at the process versus the unprocessed, does that change the amount of the lauric acid in the coconut oil? Well, that's a great question. Not one that I had heard or explored before. Monolaurin is basically made from introducing coconut oil, whether processed or unprocessed, I'm not 100% sure, likely unprocessed, into a hot water bath with sodium hydroxide, and that's what separates the coconut oil into lauric acid and glycerin. Interesting. Okay, I have one final question for you. <laughs> Another <it>. C virus, <laughs> candida, is the, <laughs> is the condition that we often, in functional nutrition, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, we often think of lauric acid and monolaurin in supporting addressing candida. And I know we can't speak about those clinical effects, but is there research there? Does the research tell us anything about the benefits? 
Absolutely. I'm so happy you brought up candida. It is one of the most common yeast overgrowths, which can result in thrush and, and other yeast overgrowths in humans, including the intestines and vaginal canal, etc. And there are many studies which explore monolaurin and its relationship to candida albicans and other yeast strains, but candida albicans specifically. Monolaurin benefits from having an impact against gram-positive and gram-negative bacterial isolates in certain studies. And again, in a, an agonizing attempt to be as compliant as possible, <laughs> I, I won't get into the specific results of these studies, but I highly encourage any listener to go onto PubMed and find some of these peer-reviewed third-party research studies, which do explore it. There's one other part I was hoping I could revisit. Yes. You talked about people self-medicating. And what I gathered from it is that there's a mindset potentially in the US, certainly, and likely other cultures and locations as well, that if something is good for you in a small amount, it'll be great for you in a larger amount. <laughs> and you know, your encouragement of you know, people engaging their GPs and, and other you know, health professionals to gain the coaching, education, and insight to support their own personal wellness in a thoughtful and educated way. One of the benefits of monolaurin is that it's an FDA grass compound. And grass, as you know, is an acronym which stands for generally recognized as safe. And reading the FDA literature, they don't indicate explicitly an upper limit to the ingestion of monolaurin. It just says industry best practice. There's anecdotal evidence that people can really tolerate high doses of monolaurin. If you look at some commercial products, especially in the pellet format, some of their nutrition labeling indicates that an average dose can be three to five grams of monolaurin per serving, which is quite a bit. So I, I think that you know, monolaurin has a long track record and history of being safe. Again, it was isolated in the 1960s, widely used in food and commercial applications, and more recently, dietary supplement applications. And I think that there can be a little bit of peace of mind almost when thinking about using monolaurin for immune and gut health. Yeah, I'm just going to add a clinical piece there, if I may, that the research is in looking at potentially the supplementation of monolaurin when I see people coming in, sometimes consuming large amounts of the foods that contain the monolaurin, like the coconut oil, that potentially have challenges digesting fats. I see. <laughs> it can be an issue. So I think we just, as you said, it's like generally regarded as recognized as safe. And we need to just be thinking about who is this, what are they coming in with, and how are we considering their whole clinical scenario? You're absolutely right. So nothing comes without potential side effects and you know sensitive digestive responses to high levels of saturated fatty acids is one clear and well-defined and observed outcome. I don't know if any of your patients or colleagues have come across a Herxheimer reaction, but that's something that has been talked about in this space as well. This Herxheimer reaction, is, as you know, is commonly known as a die-off symptom. Its side effect is basically producing symptoms ironically similar to a cold or a flu. Historically, when an individual is facing some sort of infection, maybe they take an antibiotic and the rapid die-off of the pathogen releases these 
protein endotoxins into the system, which in which your body has an inflammatory response against. And that inflammatory response is what's ironically similar to a cold or flu. And it's been suggested that certain supplements, you know, potentially monolaurin as well, may cause an unwelcome reaction such as that, which is what I had assumed you might be referring to. Right. Yeah. And that might then lead us clinically to the start low, go slow and increase so that we're not forcing the system too much into a negative response. Again, depending on the person, just because we see so many people who are sensitive. I find this conversation, Damon, really fascinating. I like that we were able to look at it through a matrixed and multifaceted perspective. Thank you so much for bringing your knowledge and your wisdom and your background and all the research to the table today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 